And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we are live, Farhan, so people will start coming in now. I'm going to promote it on Twitter. Special spooky edition of the... Well, my friend, we've got some hockey to discuss. we got some victories finally to discuss. Yeah, trick or treat. I know. <laughs> Let's go. Once we get everybody on, we got to ask. We, we got to ask. When everyone comes on, we need to ask them what their favorite treat is. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, did you see the Canucks players were... Lots of love for Arrow. Yeah, you know my favorite is M M&M and M peanuts. Oh, really? I'm a I'm a big M M&M and M peanut butter guy. Yeah, I haven't had a lot of that. No, I haven't had a lot of that. No Reese's peanut butter cups. Okay, we could do that. Uh, yeah. Arrow's good. Arrow's good. I'll give you that. The little tiny Snickers. You know, it's funny. I've, I've just got a box of these. Uh, like, uh, I've got a box of them here. And, uh, you know, it's still daylight, so we haven't had a lot, any trick-or-treaters yet. But I'm sure that's coming. My daughter is going as Elsa. Nice. Um, yeah. And so I've got a, I've got a, uh, their aunt who's, you know, generally takes them trick-or-treating all the time or hangs out with us when we do it. She's got a picture that she sent me of, of like eight of Nora's 10 years trick-or-treating my daughter. And it's, uh, it's, it's been quite the, it's been quite the variety. A lot of princesses. But, uh, you know, and she's again, you know, like Elsa might as well just be a princess right now. But uh, we're uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out yesterday. Actually, her she had a Pocahontas outfit that was ordered in and whoever it was ordered through lost it. Oh, damn. So, yeah. So she did this thing. She at her at the stable where she rides. They had they had a, a, a Halloween party for everybody there. And so she quickly made a costume that was basically an injured kid. And on her horse, there was a sign that said, I'm good with children. And it was her with the horse, like she was 
busted up. So. <laughs> well, I um I was wondering. I mean, I've seen some Canucks fan costumes. We've seen some at the rink in the early going this season, uh, including a guy with a paper bag on his head. Luckily, on Friday night, the team treated their fans to a win and were full value, I think, for that win. Bo Horvat scores twice. Club capitalizes on a, a fortunate break. I thought, uh, you know, there was that exchange between JT Miller and Malkin that ends up drawing the penalty that results in the game-winning goal. And Miller, would you would JT Miller dodge the bullet because the penalty call could have gone the other way easily? Easily, but but for me, I don't I don't say JT Miller got lucky. I say good on JT Miller. He got away with one, frustrated a guy, and then drew a penalty on him, right? Um, and then credit the Canucks for capitalizing on it. Bo Horvat just on a bit of a goal scoring tear here. Uh, you know. I've been noticing a thing about Bo Horvat that I want to talk about as we get into discussing the Canucks. Um, he's gotten a lot more deceptive with his release. If you watch how his shot works now, a uh, little bit different when he's on the bumper and he's a one-time option. But if you watch him shoot on the rush, he's not putting much on it. He's getting it off faster and he holds his stick like a, it's really a bottom hand shot, almost more of a drag shot in the Connor Bedard mold. And here's an interesting thing about uh, about Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard's shot is already ca- catching the attention of NHLers to the point that uh, Horvat was mentioning to me over the summer, he encountered what, what Bedard's stick was, right? He, he saw Bedard's stick, the stick Bedard's using from whatever, the whatever Bauer rep or, or what have you, um, sort of had it. And tested it, played with it, and has decided to to uh, reduce the flex uh, of his stick uh, to have a whippier shot. And I think Bo Horvat's basically added like a level of deception to his finishing game. I mean, you look at Jari on Horvat's second goal. He has no idea where that puck is going. And I don't think that's on Jari. I think that's on Horvat, who's added a whole new layer of deception to his arsenal, right? Like, a, like an ace pitcher that adds, adds a changeup and starts getting K's instead of adding a couple miles per hour to their fastball. Uh, just a little thing I've noticed, and an interesting thing to track, particularly given Horvat's contract status, and how well he's <laughs> going to need to perform if this team's going to get back in the race. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. And finally, him getting, getting I don't want to say off the schneid, but just starting to heat up a little bit as far as the goal scoring is concerned, uh, matters. And quite frankly, JT Miller moving to the wing matters because it puts an even greater premium on Bo Horvat the center in an organization that really only has two. Now, I don't think we've seen the last of JT Miller playing down the middle at various points this season. Injuries will determine that just the ebb and flow of, of, you know, cycles and streaks and things like that over the course of the regular season, he's going to get some time back in the middle. Once he feels more confident about his game, especially in his own end of the ice, they will eventually slide him back there. But when you look at this roster, it was so dependent on that concept of Miller playing down the middle working. It hasn't yet and may never, right? You know, on a consistent 82-game basis, we may just come to realize, and the club may just have to realize that you're playing an $8 million, paying an $8 million winger. And now all of a sudden, if you punt on Bo Horvat because you've made the decision on which of these two guys you want, you know, and you and I have talked about potentially the redundancy of having them both just like they've got with different positions out there. But if all of a sudden you now move on, from Bo Horvat, you are absolutely screwed down the middle. 
if in fact JT Miller just can't figure it out, you know, at, at his in his own end of the ice. Well, it's an interesting thing because this comes back to, you know, since we've last chatted, and it was only last week, the Canucks have made a pair of deals. They've won a pair of games. They've signed a new broadcast rights agreement, both on radio and television, and gave me an opportunity to play uh, or to dress up as a good corporate teammate. <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> on, enjoyed uh, that. Uh, yeah, on Halloween. You know I do. You know you know that you know how much I like selling out for and yeah and it's a tough group to sell out for let's be fair <laughs> no. organizationally like for all the fans that are out there and they get mad at us if they think we're negative believe Stop. me from a from a it is a difficult i'm not talking about the rogers part let's leave that <laughs> like, i'm not talking about rogers being a tsn guy i'm just talking about the canucks uh and where their business side is gone and we we, we see all of it and it's not it's not always the easiest group to cheer for Fair enough. So, uh, no comment. Business-wise. Business-wise. <laughs> no comment. No, I'm just kidding. So, anyway. Yeah, comment, damn it. I want to get back to the center conversation that you were having about JT Miller. Because yeah. I think this dovetails nicely with the Jack Studnika trade. So, effectively, the Canucks are trying out Studnika right away in between Tanner Pearson and Niels Hoaglander on a third line that realistically may end up playing fourth line minutes based on how much Bruce Boudreau trusts Niels Oman, right? And yet, you know, when you think about this team, we talk so much about the defense and the blue line and the puck moving and the lack of ability to improve there. But really, one thing this club has lacked massively is that defensive conscious center you know like a center who brings it's like their first guy over on on the pk you know they're going to take care of that they can match up now there's not a lot of players who match that description in the league to be totally honest we call them third line centers but they're always you know top 60 centermen in the game right they are incredible players they are valuable they are rare it's hard to find teams with like a perfect third line center uh they're you know far worse than than you think but it's still something that really good teams tend to have a version of, of some kind. And it's something the Canucks haven't had in a while. When you think about the way they went into the season with Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, I think what's proved to be true is when you have three guys who are all lefties, none of them ace penalty killers, none of them ace matchup guys, the result is a lot of talent on paper and less actual impact, right? like less than the sum of their parts in terms of their impact on winning games in combination with one another, right? Their values to some extent neutered. We, we did the baseball analogy, right? Three right-handed power hitters as opposed to two righties and a yeah, left. Or redundancy in the lineup. We've talked about it. Right. Yeah. So you get, you, you know, they've taken this flyer on Studnika. Now I'm not going to ride for Studnika coming in and day one being the answer to the question that I'm asking. Right. The the defensive conscious center on day one. But but you do need a guy who brings something a little bit different than what you have. Right. And at the American League level and at the junior level, Stanika was pretty dynamic. But the, the key parts of his game, like relentless, direct, physical, he's right handed. I think he may end up playing on the wing in the NHL, to be totally honest with you. But. I like that they're giving him that shot there right off the bat 
And you can understand why, considering this team's needs and their gap in terms of, you know, potential NHL players who play center under the age of 25 in the entire organization, other than Elias Pettersson, right? Why it was worth a Myrenberg-sized gamble to see if he could be part of the answer there. I think that's a pretty high upside, pretty low cost bet. I'm not saying it's going to work. It just, it just, fe- it just feels like this version's this year's version of Yuho Lanico. Yeah, you know, I get that. I get that. But you and, and I like them, but there, but there's yeah, a limit there, right? There's a ceiling on all these guys. Yeah, uh, I Stanika though, recent second round pick, right? Lamico was a third, but Lamico was a little more touch and go in terms of his puck skills, right? Like he couldn't carry the puck. You know, he was he was sort of interesting as a deflector of pucks in front of the net, right? He was willing to live in dirty areas of the ice, but he couldn't carry the puck, and he never did. Um, Stanika can carry the puck. There's a level of, um, you know, pedigree and dynamism in Studnika's game that that, Lam- that was absent from Lamico's. And you're, I remain Lamico's biggest single fan. But you understand what I'm trying to say in terms of they're rolling the dice on a guy that does have a limited ceiling. And maybe because it's second-round pick, as you say, in that puck-carrying ability, maybe his ceiling is, is a little bit higher. I just I look at him, and I just can't see a scenario where, where he, both he, Nozoman, Curtis Lazar, that any of them can sustainably be a third-line center to give you a reasonable third line. There was so much excitement around this team, at least from a forward standpoint, being able to ice three legitimate lines that can ship in offensively. And and I don't know now that with J.T. Miller not down the middle, and again, I'm not lobbying for him to be down the middle. I think the club is far better off, or he's certainly far better off playing on the wing. But when you look at it, I just don't know any of those names, whether or not they can be a legitimate facilitator to allow that third line to play with any level of dynamism. And I think you're going to wind up with two and two instead of three and one in terms of your line makeup. And I think that's that's a tough thing for players that could potentially roll in on the wings of those lines, right? Like whether, you know, Pearson, whatever, whether he's a third or fourth line guy, I mean, you know, he, he's so valuable because he can play up and down your lineup, but you're not going to, I'm not going to view him as hard done by, but, uh, you know, whether it's a Besser in today's current roster, Hoaglander, Pod Colson, I think all of them are lesser for who could potentially be playing in the middle on their lines. Interesting. So Corey Pronman added in our chat, by the way, as he's auditing the oh. VanCast Live, that he worries about Studnika skating in a defensive role. I've told him to raise his hand. He's done so. I've tried to welcome him to the stage. We'll see if it works. Corey, can you hear us? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? We can. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, no, I just I saw that, and I just think like Stanika for me when I've watched him in junior in the American League, like his assets is his skill, his hockey sense. Um, like I think his compete's good enough to be like you know he's killed penalties in the American League, and I think at times in the NHL, but I don't think. Like the reason why he didn't work in Boston is because his because his feet are kind of have always been kind of heavy, and I think they they kind of didn't know the right place to put him essentially in a, in a deep uh, lineup. So like I look at their lineup and I, you know, I, what does he do better than Bo Horvat? Like I, I would I would I would question all of that when you're when you're kind of saying like he he, he offers something different. Like what what makes him different than Bo Horvat? 
Well, well, I mean, I mean that, that they need. They well, first, need, of, all, well, first the right of all, it's not the right handed. Right. Yeah, that, that that's a difference for sure. But I just meant like in terms of like the tools wise. Like I just like he's a nice player. Like I just like I think he'll. You know, if he's playing games, it's different than where he was in Boston. And, uh, you know, they moved DiPietro, who clearly did not have a future there. They, by the way, they've used him the last few years. That was obvious. And Miran Burke's like a fringy prospect. So I like the ad. I just, I, I'm just not sure. I, I, when you said like he's going to be like this big, you know, this really good two way kind of defensive guy, I, I, mm. I wonder if that's really mm. what they envision him as that. Envision yeah. him. Sorry. Yeah. Envision him as that. Interesting. I think the. <laughs> I think the thing is, is that they have this gap in centermen, and Zunika can potentially help if he hits that. Like if he hits generally, fill that. Yeah, he plays. He plays. He plays more different than like Pedersen does. For he doesn't have like Pedersen's a one-way power play driven guy. He can offer a little bit more than like say him. I was like thinking. I don't know why I went to Horvat right away, but I think like there's that, there's more analogies there. I think in terms of the way they play. Yeah, interesting. Well, yeah. there's uncertainty on Horvat beyond the season too. Yeah, that's fair. I I didn't, didn't come in here to talk that many Canucks. I just popped in. I saw the notification. Uh, I'll, I'll leave you guys to it. We love you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming on, Corey. We had a bit of a drancher echo as soon as Corey came on. So let's let's try. Can you talk now? Let's see if there's another echo still. No, it's uh, it's oh, uh, I think it's it's a lack of headphones. It is it's uh, something that we sometimes get when we invite people up to the stage. And uh, but uh, you know what, Corey's insight is so unique, and he's yep. so dialed in with these guys. Well worth the momentary audio issue to get his take on Studnika and what he can offer and his limitations. The heavy boots thing is not something I'd heard a lot of. From uh, from my AHL scouts, but Corey is more dialed in to that world than me, always. And so, getting his contributions, getting his two cents, figured that would be a, a well worthwhile value add for our VIPs. Yeah, I mean, he never he didn't necessarily uh, in, in his thirty eight games for the Bruins necessarily show a lot offensively, but wasn't necessarily put in those roles. But I do know that he's had periods of time, both in junior and in the American Hockey League, where he's shown an ability to do that, uh, which leads you to where he got drafted. But like I said, I mean, it just look, I appreciate that the organization is trying. They're trying to create solutions. And even if they're stopgap short term solutions, um, you know, and again, in many cases, I just think the best way to describe them as flyers. It's great. But they're low risk, low maintenance moves. You bring them in here. You give them, a, you know, a dozen games to see what he can do. And if not, um, you know, you've got other players in the minors you could bring in that could potentially fill in. Similarly, you've got players that. Um, you know, injuries are going to determine how you wind up having to deploy people. So I just think it's a, it's a low risk bet that I respect him for attempting to make. And, you know, as we, we're going to talk about Ethan Bear as well. We're going to see him tomorrow. Again, a, a low risk move. And, you know, and I know you can debate the, the pick that got taken, but he's on, under contract for the rest of the year. He's going to be highly motivated. You're not bogged down by a contract. They retained 400,000 uh, to make it fit as far as the LTIR is concerned. I think they're positive moves. Many would describe them as just nibbling around the edges of the roster. But I think, you know, I'm comfortable taking a look, taking a swing and seeing what's there. Yeah, well, so nibbling around the edges of the roster are is where things get interesting. So are you eating Halloween candy, Farhan? As a matter of fact, 
<laughs> I, I, uh, my, my wife just put them out for kids that may wind up coming, and I was like, yeah. well, wait a minute. i got to have uh, one of well, those M&M peanuts. You definitely do, but mute the line. Mute the line, my I'll friend. I'll have to mute it for sure. Yeah. Um, so while you enjoy your peanuts, I'm going to get off on a small rant here. Small, small R rant, which is nibbling around the edges is sort of where things get a little concerning to me, right? Like, if you look at Bear for a fifth, plus the you know cost of taking on Lane Patterson, and the cap savings that that entire maneuver brings the Canes, plus the extra contract slot, you know, you can understand why that's good value from a Vancouver perspective. It makes sense to take that swing. Studnika for Myron Berg, as Corey Pronman said, a fringy prospect. That's my read as well. I know he had that top right-handed defenseman prospect in the system, but that says more about the Canucks system than it does about Myron Berg. Um, Sheen plus Di Pietro, well worth doing. You know, Stillman, while clearing Dickinson's cap space, makes sense even when it's attached to a second, right? Because it's not just that you're saving money this year on Dickinson's deal, you're saving money next year. And they're desperate to clear space for next year. Like that needs to happen still. There's still more moves that need to be done. But when you put it all together, right, you're looking at Di Pietro, Myrenberg, a second, a fifth, and I think that's it, right? Going out in exchange for Correct, Lane, yep. Lane Peterson, Ethan Bear, Corey Stillman, and Studnika. And while I'm cool with all of those deals, again, individually, the big picture is the club having an outflow of draft picks again, right? Which is always your best method of cash in hand, right? Always your best method, uh, your best trade assets are draft picks, right? Like this is the thing about draft picks. I like surplus draft picks, not because you can select the players, although you can, sorry, Corey, if you're still listening, by the way, but because, <laughs> but because if you want to get Ryan Graves, the best way to do it is to have cap space and picks, right? If you want to get John Marino, the best way to do it is to get, is to have cap space and picks, right? Like the, you need to have those types of assets asset capital available to you to spend and draft picks are always the most flexible assets the way the way to look at it like i use cash in hand versus a guy like studnika who to me even if he pans out is a gift card right it's like you might really like starbucks so you're willing to value my 50 dollars starbucks gift card as if it's 50 dollars of cash but not everyone wants starbucks right cash however that's universal draft picks are universal prospect play like players some organizations value them more than others and for me if you're trying to do a quick turnaround build around a young core group you know you can't nibble around the edges in part because your best method of doing it is going to be to carve out max cap flexibility build up as many picks like an arsenal of draft picks as possible and then I'm not saying make those picks. I'm not saying make 30 draft picks in the next three years, although I'd love to see it. I'm saying create the environment where you can be ready to pounce when X defenseman becomes available. And people often say to me when I go on this rant and try to explain this concept, which, you know, so many teams execute, but never the Vancouver Canucks, or at least not the Vancouver Canucks, since they acquired Christian Erhoff in a deal that worked out decently well. Um you know, a lot of people say stuff to me like, well, how many times does a Devon Taves move? How often? How often does a Devon Taves move? 
And yeah, they're right. Not that often. Like over the last few years, we've seen Boychuk, Letty, you know, the Airhoff trade's a good example of this. I think Brian Campbell to Florida is an example of this, albeit with a super bloated contract. Um, yep. You know, but like Graves to New Jersey is a really good example of this. Marino moved this summer, right? It's not like nobody figured out how to improve their blue line over the course of this summer, right? There were teams that figured out how to do it. Teams that decided to use their cap space and asset capital to do just that. It's just that the Canucks decided to use their asset capital and, and cap space in a different direction, right? They added Mikheyev, who's performed well for the Canucks in his six games so far. So, you know, it's just a thing where ultimately I don't know how you turn this around quickly enough to capitalize on Hughes and Pedersen's primes unless you can carve out a lot of cap space. And as I look through the club's actions, you know, since this new management group came o- came on, I sort of wonder if they've, you know, I, I want to put this right. I wonder if they've failed to appreciate just how significant the, like, twisted mess of deals is, right? And how how crucial it is to begin to blow it up, not by trading just your mid-range guys who are overpaid because they don't return value, but by trading actual value, like really good players off your roster, being prepared to replace them, and then utilizing all of the different weapons that having excess cap space lends to a team looking to bring value into their organization. I mean, I, I bring up the Marino example or the Graves example, but what about the Monaghan example? Right? Like you get sure. paid to yeah. take a guy. Or the Bjorkstrand example, where you get a guy for almost nothing. Or the Brent Burns example, where you get a really good defenseman for, you know, your third best goaltending prospect in the organization. Or Max Pacioretty, where you get paid to take the guy. Like if you're able to carve out cap space. Or when you or when you got JT Miller for absolutely nothing. Oh wait, that was a first round draft pick. Right, um, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't the fault. No, I, I totally. Bad. You've got to be. You've got to be prepared to take on those opportunities, and the Canucks just generally have never been. On top of that, you know, as they try to bring in a lot of these defensemen and, and do it in desperate fashion, uh, you know, whether it was Riley Stillman or whether it's you know Ethan Bear in this case, like you're you're further pushing Jack Rathbone down the lineup. And look, I'm not suggesting he's the answer for where this team is at today. And it kind of underscores management versus coaching and who's on the same page, right? And certainly there's a, a bigger discussion around that now in light of Jim Rutherford's comments before the Seattle game. But we, t- you and I were both there. I asked the question to Boudreaux today about how difficult it is to get Rathbone in the lineup. And he said, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough, right? Like he, he's owning that. And we haven't even seen Christian Wallanen yet. And what are they, 10 deep right now for defensemen already that they've been through without Ethan Bear having even dressed for the Canucks yet? Right? Guillaume Brisebois just got sent down. But I don't know, for me, like I would prefer to see uh, Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear and Jack Rathbone and, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson on this blue line, given the current pieces that are available, because at least you've got some guys that have a clue how to move the puck. But there, we're certainly not going to see Rathbone in that mix anytime soon. Yeah, it'll take more injuries for for us to see Rathbone, right? Which um, is crazy. You're playing. You're play, paying him one way. 
You've got him at the big club. I think it's just a matter of time before he gets sent down, right? Because the club's just going to look at him and say, heck, this guy needs a conditioning stint, if nothing else. It's only going to be a matter of time. And, you know, from a prospect development standpoint, they've done wrong by him last year and this year. And from an asset management point standpoint, all they're doing is devaluing the asset. I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, I, I do think that they're going to have to be very careful about exactly how they proceed. Dude, this is this is Mikey DiPietro all over again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and this is part of the problem, too. Like, how is how has Rathbone played so few games over the course of the past three years when this team has hasn't made the playoffs in any of those seasons? No question. No question. And I know last year there were circumstances around injuries and rosters and recalls available and all of that at the end, but they put themselves in that situation at the end, right? By completely, you know, buying into the thought that they had a shot when we all kind of knew what the math was and how unrealistic it was going forward, right? So they basically passed judgment on this talented prospect um, without ever having given him a reasonable opportunity at this level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, he, the fact is though, Farhan is that when he got in of late, he wasn't particularly effective. Now he also got in when the club was down a bunch of other defensemen, right? It's not like he was playing with Luke Shen the way he opened training camp. Right. Um, you know, not the Kyle, like I think Kyle Burroughs has maybe been Vancouver's best two way defenseman this season. So don't I'm not, disagree at all. Don't so I'm disagree not, at all. I'm not being critical, but, you know, it's one thing to be Jack Rathbone, third pair puck mover when Quinn Hughes is already in the lineup. It's a different thing to be in that role when he's not. And all of that said, when over the course of three games playing with a shorthanded blue line group, the club decides that they trust Guillaume Brisebois more than you. That's not a good sign. Well, but like at some point, I. Some of that is not a good sign on the players. Some of that I think is not a good sign on, on the coaching staff, right? Like, and this is why I talk about if you're, what do you think management would prefer in this moment? What do you think they would prefer? In the case of Jack Rathbone, my belief is they would prefer him to be in the lineup more than he has been. Maybe not every game, maybe not all eight games to this point, but he should have been in four or five of them. Oh yeah. No question. Right. So this is, you know, you've got a desperate side, desperate coaching staff. And, and look, I like Bruce. I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to see him get fired and all of that, but you've got desperation on one end and, you know, you've got management that has a different view of all of this. And I, I can tell you for sure that they would like to have seen him play a little more than he has right now. So, you know, that you get into those situations, right? But then management also feels the desperation. So rather than saying, play this guy, they go out and get other guys. And, and I know that Bear is a different commodity because he's right-handed, um, but like I said, I look at it and, you know, I, like I see Jalen Chatfield playing top four minutes in Carolina and I'm thinking, wow, like, you know, you, you move on from guys pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chatfield thing though, is so systems dependent, you know, like this is, this comes back a little bit to like the Gustav Forsling thing, right? Like people uh, talk about Gustav Forsling, like this lost piece for the Canucks, even though it took him eight years and four organizations to find his footing as a guy who, for me, is like a four or five defenseman who's system dependent, right? And on a team like Florida that's high octane, go, 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 it's one thing for Gustav Forsling to play big minutes, right? In a system yeah, no, like Carolina's, where everything gets dumped, 
right? Where where the priority is skate, win battles, hit hard. Jalen Chatfield's perfect. Perfect. Right? It's where you're you're asking your defender to connect play a little more that, you know, Jalen Chatfield's not an everyday player for every team. Right? Like that's and, and so playing on a really good team and every like every game is a high leverage situation because the stakes are higher. Like they're they're a contender. They're a contender. Yeah. Systems be damned. They're a contender. I and get this, it. And, uh, you know, and this team is nowhere near that. And Jack Rathbone can't get in the lineup. Like, what are we talking about here? He's not getting into the lineup over who? Well, presumably it's going to be Hughes, OEL, Stillman. Well, and, the, uh, and Dermot's, Dermot's going to get Dermot's going to get back, you know, within the next couple of weeks. That's going to push him down the lineup even further. I don't think mm. we're going to see, see Pullman anytime soon. But it's only going to get worse for the guy. And if there's any asset value remaining, you know, like, Shit or get off the pot on this one. Play him or move him. Like it's 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 it feels like that, doesn't it? Because it's only going to get worse in terms of his situation. Yeah, I mean, I do think that they need to figure out. I I, I think it they owe it to him to figure out exactly how they're going to do this. Um, but that said, you know, when you don't crack this team's blue line out of camp, right, and when you get into the lineup and struggle the way he did things get a little dicey right like it's yeah, not I like think they all collect they all collectively struggled and the young guy pays the price the blue line collectively one through six one through ten sure has been sure. a train wreck quinn hughes hasn't been good enough and i'm not I, saying for a second that when quinn hughes was healthy he should have been bumped i'm not suggesting that at all but it's like okay well the young guy's the easiest one to move i don't disagree with you at all but even among a group that has struggled Jack Rathbone has arguably struggled the most. Uh, just in my opinion. That's just yeah, my yeah. opinion. I think he's really had a tough time be- below the circles. I think there have been, you know, some I just really think tough he ha- I think he hasn't, pl- he hasn't played enough to pass judgment on him. I agree from, with like, that. Like, ga- games and minutes. Like, give him some run, man, before you decide he can do this or he can't. I don't but disagree with that. Certain prospects in an organization have to be treated differently. Right. There are certain players that you will wheel out there and say, let's see what you got. And you'll you'll let them sink or swim a little bit. Right. Whereas there's other players in an organization that they've got a scratch and claw and they might get two games this year and four games next year. And, you know, like it just depends on where you were drafted and it depends on where you're thought of within the organization. And Jack Rathbone. And if this is an indictment of the prospect pool, so be it. He was their best blue line prospect, period. You treat that player differently. You give him some runway. You don't just, you know, dabble with him and let him go in the shallow end and say, eh, you're out. Like, you don't play him that way. That's not how you deal with those guys. Like, think of when Quinn Hughes came in. Think of when Elias Pedersen came in. Yes, I know they were higher draft. They were higher selected in the draft. I get all of that. But again, today in 22-23, that's your highest, that's your top blue line prospect. Give him a little bit of runway. He's had nothing. I agree with you. Honestly, Imagine I agree he's, with he's playing. He's probably playing petrified because he knows he's got one foot out of the lineup. Well, and and I would add too that it didn't have to be this way, right? Like there were games toward the end of last season where the forward injuries mounted and they couldn't use a recall on him. Um, certainly, there were games early on last season where you know he played to open the air and then he lost the role and the team still wasn't playing well. 
but they didn't put him back in, right? All of a sudden, you've got coaches coaching for their jobs, and the dynamics change, and he doesn't get that look, right? And that's sort of something but that's all the more reason, too. But all like I, I get it, but like to me, I think it was all the more reason to have a like a, a dark pencil with him in the lineup on opening night this year, and that didn't happen, right? And then you go and get Riley Stillman. Like, what are we talking about here, Riley Stillman? Well, Stillman's 24. Like, Stillman, I think Stillman could be useful. Come on. Stillman's a 7, 8, a 6 on a good day. But on this defensive core, we look at him differently because they're so bloody bad. Right? Like, we've yeah, got but a bunch I don't of know. Dumb- no, you know what? You know what? Sorry. Wait. Wait. Stillman is a young defenseman who plays a tough game and can move the puck pretty well but needs reps himself and ideally reps in a familiar environment, kind of like he had in Florida where like the years that he played and it was every day, him and Strawman, that was an effective pair, third pair for the Florida Panthers, right? He goes to Chicago. We brought totally, in here. It's a they totally dysfunctional situation in Chicago the last two years, like brutal. And you know, this is, this is a kid character with enough skill to move the puck at the NHL level. He's not going to give you a ton offensively, but he's he's conducive to at least like helping create a more offensive environment. I think he's shown okay on a team that played pretty poorly in the I know, games but you, that he was like, in the lineup. Yeah, but this, so this is what we're talking about, right? Like, ah, I think he showed okay and, you know, like you're, you're creating a best case scenario for a marginal prospect because they're not willing to trust the guy that's in the building. And that's the problem. Like, let this guy have some run. And, it, like, we're spending a lot of time talking about Jack Rathbone when the Canucks issues are, are deeper and bigger. But this is what we do in this market, right? Like, the 13th forward gets a lot of dialogue. Uh, and in this case, the, the 8th or ninth or 10th defenseman. But, you know, as, as we're watching all of these players get brought in, you've got a player that can skate. You've got a player that can get the puck out of your zone. Empower him. Let him feel like he can make a mistake. But they don't do that. Why? Because they sit the bed to start the season, and here we are. Everybody's fighting for their lives. Well, yeah, and that's that's what I'm trying to talk about, is the compounding issue that comes about with uh, always having a, a lame duck coach, right? Like a, an issue that I actually do believe is an issue, and one that this team backs, in, backs themselves into year after year after year. So, um, you know, you do want someone who's got the ability to think long-term, particularly when you're only a fringe playoff team anyway. You know, particularly when you're a team where it could go either way every season. It's not like you're for sure going to make the playoffs. It's not like it's a crisis when you're 500, (laughs) you know, like it is in Toronto at the moment. Like that's a team with expectations. You know, this team, this team's two, five and two. And it's like the crisis is over. They won two. It's like, come on, (laughs) come on. Anyway, (laughs) when you're, when you're a team like the Canucks, you should, you should build some wiggle in so that. If your season goes off, you can use it. You can use that time to develop guys a little bit or give them reps that might matter later. I mean, that's sort of the issue that I have mostly with Jack Rathbone. It's like, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't now. Like, he hasn't played well, in my opinion. And yet... He hasn't played, man. He hasn't played. No, I know. I know. But he signs... We're going to talk about Jack Rathbone in two years playing top four minutes for a team that's on the playoff bubble and we're going to be navel-gazing about this same topic. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah. Like, in the Jalen Chatfield model, sure. Sure. I'm not going to dispute that. There's a definite possibility that that happens. 
But I mean, here's I just want to I just want to stay focused on the big organizational issue here, which is that, you know, we're talking about a guy who's played 21 NHL games at this point. Right. We're talking about a guy who's played um, an additional 47 American Hockey League games. So he turns pro in the summer of 2020. He signs with the Canucks summer of 2020. It's almost two and a half years ago now, two and a half years ago, he signs and he's played. 65 pro games 70 pro games something like that like how's that that is a brutal spot to evaluate anybody now he's not the only guy we're gonna go through a lot of guys whose careers took odd turns because of taxi squads and pandemic rules and border restrictions i think the canucks signed a guy who was a a worthwhile bet in this mold in dakota joshua just this summer who deserved to look in part because his career had been so interrupted by the, the, the world, right? Uh, you've got a really good prospect in Chicago who matches this description in Ethan Del Mastro, who lost a full season. The Canucks rolled the dice on Connor Larkart, who's third in the OHL in scoring right now, which is great to see, um, because he might be a real prospect after being the second overall selection in the priority draft uh, coming into the O and then losing an entire draft year. So. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Rathbone is in a tough spot. We probably haven't seen enough of him to evaluate him. And yet this team is now kind of fighting for their life every night and will be, you know, certainly until they have like a 10 game winning streak. And so or, or not. Right. <laughs> or, or they don't. And um, and that sort of puts, you know, Bruce in a tough spot as a lame duck coach. And, and the trickle down effect, one of the trickle down effects clearly is going to be. Rathbone needing an additional injury to get in the lineup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's uh, change gears and talk goaltending. Okay. Um, and and we're, I know we've got some guys in the queue. You want to take a few of them now or you want to wait? Well, I want to hear your goalie take, and then we'll uh, and then we'll open up the queue for a bit. Well, I mean, look, I know that um, you know I've, you've been on Twitter a few times where uh, Demko's let in a soft goal, and people have been crazy about it. And but at the same time, like the team's not generating anything, and he's dealing with a lot of shots, and he's still making great saves. Uh, certainly, the numbers haven't been kind to him, both you know from a save percentage standpoint, goals against, expected goals, all of it relative to what we're used to seeing from him. And now you got Spencer Martin, who has points in both his games. And the Canucks' best game, Spencer Martin, was the goaltender. I am not suggesting for a second there is a goaltending controversy or should be one in Vancouver. Um, but I do think that if you're Bruce Boudreaux, you should be looking at this situation and say, you know what? 
maybe I can play this guy a little more than I thought. Maybe I don't need to just wait for back-to-back situations to play him. Maybe I can be sure that I can give him a game every week or every third game because, you know, I've got some belief in him. You know, and, and maybe Thatcher Demko is better for it. I don't believe he's been good enough, right? And I look, there's a lot of that going around. So don't think for a second I'm blaming the Canuck record on Thatcher Demko because I'm not. But this team, rightly or wrongly, has been built for needing good goaltending performances. And, uh, you know, he's given up that soft goal regularly. Um, I'm not telling you all the goals he's allowing are soft, but he's giving up some soft goals and it's impacting a team that's already emotionally fragile. The bad goal affects them more than the great save buoys them. So I'm hopeful for their sake that him not playing in that Pittsburgh game, getting three days here before his next start where he can work on some things with Ian Clark, um, you know, and he can start working kind of towards the right direction. We did a good chance to talk to Thatcher earlier today. And, um, you know, he didn't necessarily really talk about what he felt was going wrong. Like I did ask him the question of where you think you'd like to improve the most, be it, you know, rebound control or tightening up in certain areas or with certain movements so that pucks don't get through them. Didn't say any of that. Um, you know, but he did say that you've confidence is not always there for every player, but you have to be able to perform whether you're confident or not. It was a really interesting comment because you think performance is so connected to confidence and he didn't buy into that. He said, you have to be able to perform whether you're feeling confident or not. And it felt like an acknowledgement that he's had varying levels of confidence so far this season but he still had different expectations of himself from a performance level. And um, for me, when you perform, you're giving your team confidence because they're so not just physically dependent on his saves, but they're emotionally dependent on, you know, they, they know we can count on this guy to be this guy. And this season, he hasn't been that guy and he hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been elite. So should they consider playing Spencer Martin more because I don't know like for me I've always felt your best situation would be somewhere around two-thirds one-third like if if Thatcher Demko got into the 57 game range and Spencer Martin was in the 25 game range I think he'd get the best out of Thatcher Demko but I, I don't know that that's what they necessarily had in mind coming into the season but maybe Martin shows you that he can do a little bit of that well I think uh I mean <laughs> I'm of the opinion that like we used to design the starter backup split as like 70-12, right? Sure. And <laughs> which was wild. And then it became 60-20. Pitchers used to pitch pitchers used to pitch nine innings. Right. And then it became 60-22. And I I you know, I think like we I still think we have more space to come down, to be honest with you in hockey. Like I, I honestly think you know, again, I cite this every time. I say it a million times. I've said it earlier today on the radio. 18 guys started 50 or more games last season. Only three of them made it through the entire year without either getting hurt, fading down the stretch, or sucking in the playoffs, right? There's only three, three of 18. To me, I think there's room for it to come down further, like to 50-30. And Martin, to me, is a guy who has played well enough now that you might as well see if he can give Demko that type of workload. Not, not because of how Demko's performed. For me, it's not about that. It's that if you have any ambition of catching up in this playoff race, right? If you have any ambition of being good down the stretch, you need Demko to be Demko for the months 
that he's going to, you know, do the dominant thing where he barely lets in a goal for weeks on end, right? Despite getting shelled. Uh, that's where the Canucks need to get to. Like, I, I do think that Martin has performed well enough to be uh, trusted in, in a bigger workload. Like, I'd love to see 25 at minimum for him. I'd love to see them at least deploy him with that in mind going forward here for a bit. And, you know, I, I had a nice chat with uh, Spencer on over the weekend on Sunday. And, you know, one thing I loved about uh, his response to some of my questions was he was talking about what his goals were for this year. And he said that really, really what he wants to do is patch up some of the supporting gaps that Demko didn't have last season. Right. He, he said, you know, I noticed that being around the team. There were there were moments where, um, you know, the performance of uh, of the backup, the performance when Demko wasn't in net cost us. And if I can do a good job, like a backup goalie sometimes decides whether a team makes the playoffs or not. And he's he's dead on. Right. If you go 550 point percentage over 20 games versus 500 point percentage over 50 games, that's that's the extra two, three points that could matter. Right. The Canucks missed the playoffs last year by what? Eight points, six points. Yeah, six points. Right. So, I mean, you know, you get a you get a few extra wins behind your backup than you would behind a sub average guy makes a world of difference. And and Martin was like dialed in on those margins. And I just thought that was really a, a really mature, thoughtful way of going about it, which is no surprise, considering that Martin's, you know, had to keep his head up and keep grinding and keep working. Uh, even though he went five years between NHL starts, right? Even considering the fact that he, you know, had to come to Vancouver, see what Demko and company were doing. Uh, really, really like he went to the coaching staff last year. He went to Sanford and Clark and said, I know I'm the fifth goalie. I know I'm the fifth goalie. Keep working with me, please. Please just keep working with me. I see what you guys are doing. I want it. I want to learn more. Please just keep working with me. Like he went and did that himself. That's amazing. That's that's the type of um, that's the type of athlete I, I like to, you know, I like to see get a get a lengthy shot. He should get a lengthy shot. But for me, it has nothing to do with Demko. No, all true. And and when I look at it, I mean, there were some moments last season where they were prepared to do more with Halak, and then you know injuries and a few other things kind of uh, took you know affected that from happening. You know, and ultimately we know Demko is the starting goalie. But today off camera, I talked to Bruce, you know, after his availability and I, and I asked him about it and he says, you know, I'm hoping that Martin playing the way he is now pushes Demko a little bit. And from my end, I, when I asked Demko, not about that specifically, but I said, does it help you to have a guy like Martin that you can lean on a little bit? So all the pressure isn't on you, right? Physically, emotionally, all of it. Like some people crave it. Some people kind of, Struggled it. They just wish they could have a little bit of breathing room at some point, right? Just to reset if they need to. But he never got that opportunity a year ago, right? Whether it's a physical reset or just a, like in terms of health or a reset of your game. You know, he said that um, they're still working through their relationship, right? Like he and Martin. I don't think they know each other or are as tight as other goaltending tandems. And that's not a shot or a slight or suggesting there's any level of friction because there isn't. It's just between you know, him coming midway through the season and then COVID and other things, they just haven't had the overall amount of time together where they can develop a relationship, right? So, you know, he likes the idea of developing more of that 
with Martin. And I think collectively they'll be in a better place where they can then bounce things off each other a little bit better, where I don't think that's necessarily happening right now. So, you know, I do think it's, it's headed into a good place, but I think there's a number of different um, touch points where that it could help, right? Like if they could get that goalie balance, similar to what you're talking about, right? Like whether it's, you know, 55, 57 for Demko and 25 plus for, uh, for Martin, and he can live up to that based on his play. I think it's only going to help both guys, but Demko needs to be better, period. Like you can sit there and say, well, it's an indictment of the Canucks that he needs to be better. I don't care. He needs to be better. Right. And, uh, and, and Bruce wasn't shy about telling me that, that he needs to be better. And, you know, I think deep down Demko knows that as well. And ultimately I think he'll get there. You and I both understand that goaltending can be fickle at times and it doesn't take much to get a guy dialed back in. And, and Ian Clark is such a process driven coach where if he can get that extra bit of time just to tweak a few things and not make it a part of a practice where you're just basically facilitating the shooters, uh, I think it can, I think it can help the player and, and I think it will help the player. And I think Demko will get back to the level that Canucks need him to be at, but make no mistake, he's not there now, hasn't been on the PK and hasn't been in third period situations. All right. Let's go to the audience for a bit, huh? We've got Cole P with his hand up. He's been waiting patiently. If anyone would like to ask a question, raise your hand. Uh, if you raise your hand in the next five minutes, we'll take you. Anyone who raises their hand will stick around until we're done. So raise your hand. you got five minutes to do it. Anyone whose hand's not raised by 527, uh, we're not going to get to your questions just because we've already gone long ranting about Jack Rathbone and Spencer Martin. <laughs> um, On the main right. cast live room. Yeah. Tr- trick yeah. or treat. Call me. Hey, uh, just wanted to talk a bit about uh, roster construction and what Miller's movement to the wing, which I hope is permanent because he looks much better there, is going to do. Because, uh, Drancer, I'm I'm just taking lessons from you and I'm I'm using a model and I looked up the GV, GSBA for for our five lead wingers: Miller, Garland, Mihailov, Besser, and I'm assuming Kuzmenko, although we can't judge him. And that's a lot of lot of value on the wings for for the top mm. six and and i just looking at these values like i don't even see this on on the you know the apex predator teams having guys over one 1.5 on the third line so perhaps this is a way we carve cap spaces is, is you need to move a Bess or a garland not because they're they they don't bring value to the team but we've just got an embarrassment of riches on the, the wings uh thoughts on this Thanks, Cole. It's a really good observation. You're right. A lot of this team's talent is caught up on the wings, and a lot of their cap commitments are too. And this is, I think, where when they talk about sort of having a tough summer, having a tough time moving players, this is part of the story. Like, one thing that happened around the league is that the value of wingers collapsed on the trade market in particular as a result of the flat cap, right? Centermen are at a premium defensemen are at a premium goaltenders are at a premium wingers are cheap affordable free right you saw this in free agency with some of the valuations for really good players you see it with Sonny Milano going from being a 40-point guy to being on a one-way contract in the American League clearing waivers um you see it with Bjorkstrand being traded from Columbus to Seattle for a third and a fourth Right. I just don't know that the value was there. And I think that scared them off. Like, I think that scared them off from making those types of deals. And, you know, my my sort of general response to it is 
you have to trade like if your priority is what I think it should have been, which is clearing out cap space above all else, you know, committing additional money on the wings as they did in free agency and extending a guy who might be better as a winger uh, doesn't really match with the experience that they encountered and the frustration that they encountered on the trade market in finding that some of their, you know, best trade chips actually weren't very good trade chips at all. And but what you, but what you just talked about in terms of, the market for those wingers. What could the Canucks get for Connor Garland right now? A second? Probably not. Um, Probably not. Like if they could, truly, if, okay, truly, so like the me, market, if, they, if they could get a second for Connor Garland, I would do it in a second. Well, but the key is, you look the at key the, is if you can get a second for Connor Garland without taking any money back. Totally. Sure. That's the key. Sure. But who, I mean, you have to go to, you know, I mean, yeah, like, I'm just trying to think like the Detroit Red Wings. So there's five teams in the league with enough cap space to eat Garland's contract today. Five. Detroit, Chicago, Anaheim, Arizona, Buffalo. That's it. Yeah, not exactly, no, you're right. not, not exactly a buyer's market for five million dollar cap hits. Well, and, that, like, and that's the key. That's the key is because if you take that five million, it's not about what you get back. It's what about what you can do with that five million, right? right? And right now, if you, if you look at their wingers with Garland, Miller, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Pearson, Pod, Coles, and Hoaglander and Besser, that's a pretty damn good group. Yeah, it is. Right, and if you lost Garland, that's not the end all be all. Right. Like he, for me, if you could just shed the salary, third round draft pick, what, like whatever it is, if you could shed the salary and not have to retain and not have to take a contract back, that's value. And you, you know, you can clear up opportunity for other players. You can make your fourth line what it is. You know, like you still wouldn't be pressed to have to play Hoaglander, even though it seems like Boudreaux's come around on him. Right. Like they, they still have the flexibility with those eight wingers. If you've made the decision as an organization that Miller's a full time winger now, which I'm not convinced they have. But certainly I believe that's where he should be. But if, if he is a winger right now, your big time hole is third line center and your long term goal is second line center based on what you decide to do with Bo Horvat. But if you decided Miller's your winger, then move Connor Garland immediately. Save the five million immediately. It doesn't even matter what you get back for him. Move the salary. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. All right, Arthur A. Arthur, can you hear Hello. us? Yes, I can. How are you guys? Uh, doing well. Trick or treat, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, I just have questions uh, with if you noticed the other game, how Pod Colson got bumped down to the fourth line. Uh, is that a little bit of an odd? you know, side-eye reaction to you guys, or do you just find it uh, interesting how Bruce is sort of not giving him a lot of minutes towards the end of the game? Yeah, it's an, an interesting one. Thanks for your question, Arthur. Um, you know, I think there's obviously a sense that when you're holding a lead, Hoaglander's value diminishes. He's a high event player. Uh, multiple coaches have now considered him to be suspect defensively. And so, you know, holding a lead late, his ice time is going to go down. Uh, I think where's where I get a little more concerned is that it feels like Boudreaux's like knee jerk first answer is always to bump Hoaglander down the lineup or out of the lineup, and I just wonder if that's going to make his 
sort of path to being as helpful to this team as I think he can be uh, kind of untenable. Farhan, what do you think? Sorry, go through that again. You, you cut out on me a little bit. Oh, I, I was just saying that I, it seems to me that um, like I understand reducing Hoaglander's minutes when you're holding a lead late because defense is yeah. his calling card at this point in his career. Uh, I think he can be learned. Like, I think he can be a really effective two-way piece. I just don't think he's there yet. And he, what sort of concerns me about it, though, is that it feels like whenever Boudreaux's staring at a whiteboard, the right answer always seems to be to remove Hoaglander from the lineup or bump him further down. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be an easy answer. And so much of it is youth and so much of it is contractual. And I, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily thinking about the contract that in that moment, because it's not like they're sending him down anytime soon outside of that one paper transaction. But you're, you're right. I mean, you know, they've got more invested in the other players. Um, you know, Boudreaux does seem to be a guy that also leans on size a little bit in those leverage minutes, which probably hurts Jack Rathbone and is probably going to hurt Nils Hoaglander as well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, and he's a player. Like, all of a sudden, if you decide to, as we just talked about, uh, trade Connor Garland, and you put Nils Hoaglander into that spot, and many of us have talked about the redundancy of having the two players, how much worse off are you? And would, would Boudreaux give him that opportunity? He might in the first 40 minutes, but he's probably not in the last 20. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think that Hoaglander has earned more of his trust than he had at the start of the season, but still he would be in the bottom half or bottom 25% of the forwards they've got in terms of where the coach's trust is in the player at both ends of the ice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Those were all the hands we had up by uh, 528. So let's uh, let's leave it there. Nice, A nice little hour, 15-minute uh, pre-trick-or-treat Halloween edition, a very spooky van cast with Farhan Lalji and myself. Thanks to all the VIPs for joining us. We love you guys. We appreciate the support, and we'll do another one of these. I was thinking after the Ottawa game, what do you think? Uh, yeah, probably works for me. One of those two games after either the Ottawa game or the Montreal. Yeah, game. but in um, Montreal, I want to go out in Montreal. I want to file and go out. So <laughs> let's do it in Ottawa. <laughs> we'll work on it. I got to yeah. check my football schedule first. You know that. Um, <laughs> There's no football. But, on hey, Tuesday. Come on. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about my coaching. I, that, that's, ah. the main, that's the main thing. But we've got New Jersey on Tuesday, Anaheim uh, Thursday and Nashville Saturday should be an interesting homestand for the Canucks. Yeah, and then New look, New Jersey is I've scary, had, man. I'm like legitimately pumped to watch the Devils. Like I'm very if, excited to see what they if, do. If the if the Canucks can get through that team, which uh, leads the NHL in shots per game and fewest shots allowed per game, that would be quite the statement. And boy, wouldn't that be a good game for Spencer for Spencer Mark with Thatcher Demko to be at his best? And look, once you're done, if you're hockeyed out on Saturday, uh, I'll change my hat for a second. Big home playoff game for the BC Lions on Sunday. They're going to raise the roof as far as the upper deck is concerned. So get your tickets and go watch that as well. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to see CFL football here back again in BC for the first time in forever. Uh, first playoff game since 2016. My goodness. So, it's been a while. Yeah, first home playoff game since 2016. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be a so great atmosphere. Fun. And Rourke, Rourke back. Rourke is back. Yeah, he's going to be starting. He played a quarter Let's in the last go. game. Looked okay. So, yeah, it should be fun. You might even bet on it. Now, if Thomas Strantz bets on a CFL game, we know this league has re-arrived. <laughs> I would count on it. <laughs> you know me. I can't stay away. I might have a problem. All right. 
Use your game sense, everybody. Don't be like me. All the best. <laughs> Thanks to the VanCast <laughs> listeners for joining us. You guys rock. Happy Halloween from Farhan and I.